You're listening to the Turn Again Ministries podcast with evangelist Aaron Pratt. Turn Again Ministries is based out of Fellowship Baptist Church in Clark Lake, Michigan, and is dedicated to bringing America back to its godly heritage. Let's prepare our hearts as evangelist Aaron Pratt brings forth God's word to us today. Well, Alyssa had no idea what I was preaching on tonight. It's amazing how the Lord does that and lines up messages with special music and with uh, him singing. I preached yesterday at a church up in the Thumb region. A pastor invited me up there to preach a revival meeting, and I preached a message. I don't know if I've preached this message to you before, but it's not the same. I rebranded it, um, restructured it, and did it again this afternoon, and I'm probably going to do it again. Um, Just a lot of kinks that need to be worked out of this, but I want to preach to you this evening on a message on the subject of revival. Had a wonderful, wonderful service yesterday. Um, Was at a pastor's church whom my wife and I, we share kindred spirit with him and his wife. It's always good to see believers all across this planet, but it's always good, even in an extra special way, to find those who have a kindred spirit with you. We are in Romans chapter 12. We'll be in Romans chapter 12 for just a moment. I'll flip through Romans, the book of Romans, for a little while as a bit of an introduction for where we will go today, which we will end up in Leviticus, and that is where we will spend the meat of the message this evening. So turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans, and we will begin reading in Romans chapter 12, in verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, Acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be ye not be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When we get to a Bible verse and we see the word therefore, you've heard it said numerous times that when you see the word therefore, you always look before the verse to find out what it's there for. Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. He's saying that there's a reason, that there is a cause that God has presented to you in this book of Romans for you to present your body a living sacrifice. You know, an amazing thing about the book of Romans, if you've studied the book of Romans, if you've heard preach the book of Romans, Um, taught Sunday school lessons through the book of Romans, you will notice a very strong division from Romans chapters 1 through 11 and then Romans chapters 12 through 16. It's very different. Romans chapters 1 through 11 is very doctrine, doctrine. Paul lays doctrine upon doctrine for the Christian faith, for the, the one who's lost and unsaved, and then the one who's a baby Christian and grows therefrom. And then in Romans chapter 12, it, the end of Romans chapter 11, almost as an uncontrollable praise 
to all of, all of the things that, that he says in Romans chapter 11, Romans chapters 1 through 11, at the end in verse 33, Paul exclaims, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord and who hath been his counselor? And who hath given unto him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again, for of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. And then Paul goes on with this line of demarcation. Right down from chapter 11 through chapter 12, we see a change in the way in which the book of Romans is written, in the, the content of the book of Romans from chapters 12 through 16. You can read it for yourself, you read it for yourself, and you will see a very different character. And Paul says, then in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, most of you, I believe, can probably quote this verse. He says, I beseech you therefore. And if we were to go to the preceding verses, I believe we would have to jump up uh, to Romans chapter 11 and verses 33 through 36. And this is that exclamation by the Apostle Paul, a singing forth of praise. I believe that this therefore encompasses all of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God that Paul has written about it's as if Paul says, I started in Romans chapter 1. I've went all the way through and I've laid doctrine after doctrine for you and all of these things. And when we get to the end of that and we consider it as a whole, Paul says, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, God gives us so much motivation. He doesn't have to give us any motivation. It ought to be enough just that Jesus Christ gave himself as a gift, but he gives us so much motivation throughout the scriptures in Romans. So much cause, so much reason for us to present our bodies a living sacrifice. We find in Romans chapter 1, if you flip over, we find in Romans chapter God presents himself to this world, to this lost and dying world, and to you and me as Christians. He presents himself, he manifests himself in creation. You can go outside and you can look at the stars at night, you can see the cloud formations, you can see the earth under your feet, and you can see, you can see the creation of life. And the beauty and the intricacies of, of a single cell that divides and divides and differentiates into what we call a human body. You see those two precious little babies back there of mine. Wow. And you look at that and you see creation and you see creation around you each and every day. And it's God that's saying, listen, I am here. I am behind all of this. There's a reason for all of this. I have my name stamped upon it, and it's for you to have fear of me. It's for you to realize that I am God, that I am an all-powerful God. I am a God that cares about you. I am a God that will judge you. We see that in Romans chapters, chapter 1 and verses 18. We're not going to go into details of those. That's a completely different message. In Romans chapter 2, we flip over and, and we, see that, we see that God has revealed himself not just through creation, but he's revealed himself through the law. This 
blessed old book that I hold in my hand, the blessed old book that you have in your lap, your King James Bible, God's law, telling man the things that he should not do and the things that he should do, the things that he shall not do, I should say, and the things that he shall do. So often we look at that, oftentimes we look at that as God trying to control everything and God trying to make my life so that I can't have as much fun. So many carnal Christians out there thinking along those lines, listen, Christian, those laws for you are for your good. You don't benefit God by obeying Him. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need you. They're for your good. And God didn't have to do these things. He didn't have to reveal himself through creation, and he didn't have to reveal himself through the law. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. And then we find in Romans chapter 3, listen, we... Many of us have grown up in church all of our lives, and, and we can quote many verses in Romans chapter 3. It's part of the plan of salvation that we present to lost, lost souls. And I know that these verses directly apply to lost souls, but the fact is, is that it applies to you and me without Christ as well. What then? Are we better than they? No, and no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. You think, listen, beautiful song, Alyssa, beautiful song. The only thing, and it goes so very well with the message that is going to be preached this evening, the only thing that you could ever give to God is yourself, but just think about who you are. You're wicked. The Bible paints a very ugly picture of you, that all your righteousnesses, even the very good things that you could do, the very best things that you could do, are all as filthy rags. And to imagine that that is what God wants to receive? Wow. That is unbelievable. That the only thing that we have to give and the only thing that God wants of us is for us to lay ourselves on his altar as a living sacrifice. But if you think of who I am at the end of the day, I am a, I am a, I am a sinner worthy of eternal punishment in a lake of fire. And God wants you to give that to him. We find in Romans chapter 4 and then in Romans chapter 5, the blessings of salvation. Oh, so many blessings of salvation that God didn't just save you from an eternity of fire, but that he also saved you from a life of sin. We see that in Romans chapter 6. 
since it's been preached on that principle, that concept that your old man, that, that Jesus didn't just shed his blood on the cross for your sin, that there was also 2,000 years ago an old man that was crucified on the cross, that old man, that master sin over you, that, that man that before you were saved was beating you into submission continually, and, and you didn't have a choice, you just ha I only had to obey the master sin, but the Bible says that 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross, that that old man was crucified with him, that 2,000 years ago you can say that your old man, because you are in Christ, that your old man is crucified and that you are risen in Christ to live a, to live a life in a new man that is a life that gives you the ability and the power to please Christ. There is never a situation, Christian, listen carefully, there is never a situation in your life where you can rightly say about sin that I just couldn't help myself. The moment that you utter those words and utter those thoughts inside of your mind is the moment that you call God a liar and you slap him in the face for the things that he's done to you, written in this book, in, done for you, written in this book in Romans chapter 6. The Bible says that God has made a way for you to escape every single sin. The amazing thing is that God looks at us and he sees us as filthy and he sees us as, as undone and he sees us as unprofitable and he says, I'm going to take that creature who can do no good, I'm going to take that creature who can do no righteousness and I'm going to give him a way to do good and a way to do righteousness and that Christian is only through spirit-filled living. That Christian is only through the new man. That Christian is only in Christ. And then in Romans chapter 8, going quickly through these things, the motivation, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And we see the case made by Paul in Romans chapter 8 in verse uh, 14, as he says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Just Romans chapter 1, God says, I'm going to show myself to these people through creation. I will manifest myself to them. And he says, I'm not going to stop there. I don't have to do any of this. I don't have to show myself to them through creation. I don't have to show themself, myself to them through my word. But I'm, I'm going to go that far. I'm going to make a way for them to escape eternal damnation. Chapter 3, these wicked sinners, these, those who are so undeserving, I'm going to make a way for them to escape. And I know that I'm asking them to do things that they could never, ever do. Is a Christian life hard? Is it hard to follow God's rules? I see some saying yes and some saying no. I will submit to you that the Christian life, following it, obeying God, this, this, is, this is Bible, obeying God in the way in which he wants you to is impossible. For without me, ye can do nothing. 
Not some things. Not these things that I learned over the years because, because I'm a seasoned Christian. But the Bible says that regardless of how seasoned of a Christian you are, without me ye can do nothing. That there is nothing good that you can do, Christian. You please God in the way that he wants you to do it. It is an impossibility through your own flesh. You cannot do it. You cannot do it. Following God isn't easy, and it's not hard. It is impossible. It is something that you cannot do. And the only way to do it is to place yourself on the altar as a living sacrifice and say, Lord, take my life. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And God goes so much further. He doesn't just give us a way to live a life that is impossible to do it, through our new man, crucifying our old man and through our new man, but he goes, goes a bit further. He says these Romans chapter 3 type people whose mouth is full of bitterness and cursing, I'm going to take it a step further and I'm going to adopt them. Listen, our bus kids, I'm serious. man. I, my first class was with them on Sunday. Man, I wouldn't want to adopt these kids. Just my flesh, I, I, wouldn't, I would have to really work on my heart to adopt one of these kids. I wouldn't want to adopt one of these kids. That would be a headache. Wow, what a trial. What, are we better than they? That God adopts me? And he adopts each and every one of those bus kids who confesses his name through salvation. And God, my mouth full of bitterness and cursing, me who's unprofitable, undone, unclean, that God would adopt me, that he wouldn't just save me from hell, but that he would say, I'm going to not call him my servant, but I'm going to call him my son. And if I call him my son, then that means he has a right of inheritance for all eternity. That God just wouldn't give me salvation and escape from hell, but that he would give me a way to live life on this earth and then say in the next life, I, you're not worthy, but I'm going to bless you as my son for all eternity. My soul. How could you not give your all to him? Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord and who hath been his counselor? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I beseech you, Seeing all that God has done for you, I beseech you that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Well, what does that mean? Living sacrifice. Now we get to the message. You know, God always has a way, a certain way in which he wants a Christian to do something. So we don't have to just stand back in this day and age because we have an inspired Bible and scratch our heads and figure out, well, I wonder how to do it. I wonder how it's done. There's nothing new under the sun. This day and age of technology and all of these things, God's not scratching his head up there and thinking, man, I wish I would have put that in scriptures. 
this day and age of sodomites and transvestites and transgenders and all of these things that we are approached with in our day and age, God's not scratching his head up there and saying, man, I wish you were to put a plan out there for the church in the New Testament. He has a plan. He has a way. And the way in which we find his plans is simply by searching the scriptures. And if we want to find out how to make ourselves a living sacrifice, I remember hearing messages like this preached about how to make your life a living sacrifice. And there's a way in which it resonates with you, but so often I think, I think we lose sight of what it really means to be a living sacrifice. If we turn to Leviticus chapter 1, we can see a picture, a model of how we can apply being a living sacrifice to our lives. I'm not going to take the time to read uh, this whole thing here, but in Levit Leviticus chapter 1, I will start reading in verse 3. This is God giving the plan, giving the way in which a sacrifice should be made to the children of Israel. In Leviticus chapter 3, it says, in his, If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. The first thing is, if you're going to present your body a living sacrifice, it must be without blemish. The children of Israel weren't allowed to look at the herd and say, well, this, one, this one's not going to give us as much meat, and it's kind of ugly, so we can do without that one, and we'll give that one to the Lord. God says, no, 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 I, I want your very best. It must be without blemish. And so often you and I in our Christian lives, we give God our second best. We give God our leftovers. We see it in our tithe. Instead of giving God the gross of our income, we give God the net of our income. And God doesn't want your leftovers. He wants your all. Instead of giving God first place and the preeminence in our lives, we say, I will give God whatever time I have left over after work and after play and all of these things. I will give God whatever time I have left over. And this is why we see such unfaithfulness to our Sunday night and Wednesday night services. It must be without blemish. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. What is that next word? Holy. Without blemish. Holy. holy. And one cried unto another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The four beasts had each of them six wings about him. And they were full of eyes within and they rest not day and night saying, holy, holy, holy Lord God almighty, which was and is and is to come central tenet of God's attributes and who he is, is that he is a holy God. And God is holy. You shall not make yourselves abominable with any creeping thing that creepeth, 
Neither shall you make yourselves unclean with them that ye should be defiled thereby. For I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. God is holy. God says, I've brought you out of a weary, sin-darkened land. I've saved you. I've saved your soul. And I saw it fit to call you my son, to call you my child. And you wear the Christian name, Dad. You call yourself a Christian. I am holy above all things. I am holy. Therefore, be ye holy. It's interesting if we were to look at holy, a lot of us, there's a lot of confusion or a misrepresentation in our minds so often of what that word means. Many of us think that to be holy means to do good. To be unholy means to not do good. To do right is holy. The Bible says, in Exodus 28, 2, And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother, for glory and for beauty. Garments? Can you please tell me how a garment to, can do good? Can a garment sin? God also calls places holy. He calls different vessels of the temple holy. These things that can neither do good nor bad, God calls them holy. Leviticus 20, verse 7 says, Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. Holiness is not doing right and doing wrong, though those things are attached to it. That is something called righteousness and unrighteousness. Holiness is simply being set apart just as these vessels and just as these holy garments were set apart is simply being a vessel set apart for the master's use. Holy. You notice in the Bible that it says, be ye holy for... I am holy. It doesn't say be holy as I am holy. Those three-letter and two-letter words are very important. Very important for us to recognize and understand and distinguish. The translators, when they translated, they didn't do it on accident every time that they said be holy for I am holy and not be holy as I am holy. You see, so often in our Christian lives, we look at God sitting high up on a throne, being holy, and we try to think of ways in which we can be holy in our lives. Because we try to measure up to the holiness of God because we think that it says and it means be you holy as I am holy. As if we're to compare our holiness to God's holiness and try to match up. Christian, you could never even come close to that. God doesn't say, be ye holy as I am holy, to try to work your way up to my holiness. He says, be ye holy 
for I am holy. I am holy. You are part of me. You are my child. Therefore, be holy. Because I am holy, you need to be holy. You could never measure up to me. You could never be holy like me. You could never possibly do that. The only way to do this, Christian, it's not through kicking your television to the curb. Holiness is not about wearing a certain length of dress and not about your clothes, though those things are very much attached to... About, it's not about um, um, what music you listen to, though those things are very much attached to holiness. You know, one of our problems in our fundamental Baptist churches is we hear standards like this and convictions like this preached from the pulpit, and then we have members who attach themselves to those standards and those convictions because they want to follow the pastor and they want to fit in, and then they go out and they preach those standards and convictions to other people and look down their noses on other people who don't have those standards and convictions as if they're holier than those who don't have those standards and convictions, not realizing the reason or any of the reasons why they should have a dress a certain length. They, they've not... They've not set themselves apart in their hearts. Christian holiness is not something that begins on the outside and the things that you do. It is something that begins on the inside. It's not about measuring up to God's holiness. It's not be ye holy as I am holy and measure up to my holiness. It is be ye holy for I am holy. I am a holy God. You therefore set your heart apart. You set it apart from the world and you set it to me and you give it to me. And when I strike your heart, Christian, and I say that your dress needs to be longer, then you lengthen your dress. When I say you stop listening to that music, you stop listening to that music. Be you holy, for I am holy. I am your Father. I am your God. My offspring. If you are my children and I am your God, then certainly if I'm holy, your characteristics and your conduct in your Christian life need to be holiness. Be ye holy, for I am holy. We see this exemplified in Romans eleven sixteen. For if the first fruits be holy, the first fruit, that's Jesus Christ, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, that it bring, may, may bring forth more fruit. I am the vine. You are the branches. Christian, you could never give yourself to God without blemish. You could never measure up to God. This is not something that is a really hard thing to do. Again, it is an impossible thing to do. You could never in your own Christian life live up to the standard of holiness. Do you understand in Scripture that there's no kind of holy and kind of unholy? That there's no kind of clean and kind of unclean? I drank out of that bottle back there. Before I drank out of that bottle and opened it, I assumed that it was probably pretty clean. Now most of you would not want to drink out of it. It's dirty. It's unclean. God says that there's things that are holy and that there are things that are unholy, then there's, there's no mixture of the two. 
You and I in our Christian lives, God tells us something to do in our lives. He says, I, I have a standard that I want to set you apart with. And so often we try to blur the lines and say, God, can we make a compromise? I mean, you're telling me not to watch this, so maybe I'll just watch this that's not quite as bad as this. God says, that's still garbage. It's still trash. The only way to live a holy life, Christian, a life that's set apart in purity for God, is not through outward show of actions, but it is through a heart that's given to God. It is through a heart that realizes that the only thing holy about me is what's inside of me, the Holy Ghost. And allowing the Holy Ghost then to take control of your life. And allowing that vine to then flow through you as you are the branch to bear holy fruit. That is the only way. Not through going through a checklist of standards and convictions. And you, you understand that I am not preaching against standards and convictions. I'm preaching for standards and convictions so that you would live a pure life. What I'm preaching against is having standards and convictions because somebody else has them. And having standards and convictions for the sake of having standards and convictions. This begins in the heart, Christians. The heart. Be ye holy, for I am holy. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have severed you from other people, set apart from other people, set apart from the world, that ye should be mind, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? If ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's Christian. You need to stop taking ownership of your life because it's not yours. I need to have my me time. I, I need to buy things for me. I need to do things that will make me happy. And this me, 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 me attitude is in direct conflict with presenting your body a living sacrifice. You've been bought with a price. That price was shed on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. God has presented a case for you in Romans chapter 1 through 11. And how could you not? How could you not, Christian, give your all to him? 
We see in Leviticus chapter 1 that it is a sacrifice that must be without blemish. Not your second best, but your very best given to God. And not giving yourself on the altar of God with all of your unholiness, all of your baggage, coming to the altar and say, Lord, I give myself to you, but I- I'm going I'm to keep doing that, which you told me that I shouldn't do anymore. God doesn't accept that. God rejects that sacrifice. It is an abomination to him. Christian, don't come to this altar and present your body a living sacrifice when you have sin in your heart that you know about, that you're unwilling to confess, and God's asking you to do things in your heart that you are unwilling to do. You cannot then at the same time present your body a living sacrifice. That is something that God rejects. And some of you think that that's a bit extreme, but the fact is, is that if you do that, coming to the altar, presenting your body a living sacrifice, but saying, Lord, I'm not going to do that, what that means is that you've rejected God. He didn't reject you. You rejected him first. It must be of your own voluntary will, and God stands in heaven pleading with you, giving you a case, a case that is... Man, I, sometimes I wish that it wasn't a voluntary will thing. Sometimes I just get so frustrated with myself, the amount of times that I take myself off the altar, and I wish it wasn't a voluntary will thing. Sometimes I wish God was a little bit more of a Calvinist and would just take complete control of my life. But the God of the Bible is not a Calvinist. He doesn't take complete control of your life. The choice is yours. It must be of your own voluntary will. And we see as we skip down, we skip down in verse 8, and the priest Aaron's son shall lay the parts, the head, the parts, the head, and the fat in order upon the wood that is on the fire, which is upon the altar, but his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water. The inwards and his legs shall he wash in water. Let me just say something about that first. Again, you present your body a living sacrifice. It must be wholly acceptable unto God. You come to the altar and say, God, I give you my all, and you have harbored sin inside of your heart, sin that you're unwilling to confess, and sin that you're un- God is pointing something out in your heart or asking you to do something, and you're resisting, and you're dragging your feet. God says, mm-mm-mm. No, no, no. You and I... This presenting your body a living sacrifice, Christian, is a daily thing. This right here that I'm preaching to you this this evening is the very central tenet of what revival is. It's not some spooky, mystical thing that happens every 50 years or so in such and such a place. It's something, Christian, that God offers to you today in your heart. It is a decision of presenting your body a living sacrifice out of your own voluntary will. But if you're going to do that, you must wash yourself first. There are sins inside of our hearts. He says, wash the inners, my heart. My heart is full of wickedness. My feet, says, wash the legs. I, I walk throughout this daily life 
try to be spirit-filled, something takes it out of me, I allow those things to take it out of me, I'm walking through this daily life, I'm getting the muckety-muck of this world on me, and then I'm dirty and I come before God, and the only way he accepts me again as his sacrifice, as a living sacrifice, is if I wash those boots off again and wash the inward heart off again. That's the only way. My wicked, dirty heart, the only way God accepts it is if I'm washed through and through. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church. You know, God, with a greater desire than you and I could ever imagine, wants us to be washed and wants us to do exactly as he's asking us to do, to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. This book right here, this book right here is a cleansing book revealing sin. When God reveals those sins to you, before you can present your body a living sacrifice, you must wash off, wash off the legs and wash off the inwards. And then God says, I want you to take those pieces. He says it to the priests in verse uh, 9, but his uh, in verse 8, And the priest Aaron's son shall lay the parts, the head and the fat in order upon the wood that is on the fire, which is upon the altar. God says, I want you to take, I want you to take that sacrifice and I want you to cut it up. And there are certain parts that I want you to lay on the altar and I want you to divide them and lay them piece by piece. I want you to wash the inwards. I want you to wash it out. I want the sin to be cleansed away. And I want you to take each and every part of that thing and I want you to lay it on the altar in a certain order. God gives us the recipe for Romans 12, for one. He gives us the motivation in Romans 1 through 11. And he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. And God says this living sacrifice, it must be without blemish. It must be holy. You got to do it out of your own voluntary will. It must be washed clean of its sins. And then you take the parts and lay them on your altar. You say there are I'm not going to give my ear to the gossiper in the church. I'm not going to give my ear to those who would sing abominations. Not going to give my ear to music and other things around this world that would corrupt me and make me impure and make me unholy. Not going to give my ear to those things. I'm going to give my ear to God. I'm going to take this piece and I'm going to cut it off. I'm going to lay it on the altar. And these eyes... These eyes are not my own, Lord. These eyes are yours. They're not my own. I will set no unclean thing before my eyes. No unclean thing before my eyes. These eyes are not my own. I have the Holy Ghost inside of me, and if I'm going to present my body a living sacrifice, my ears and my eyes must be on the altar. I must say,
These are not my eyes. I will only look at things that you want me to look at, Lord, and I will not look at things that you don't want me to look at. And I think, men, when you get on the internet, it's very obvious what God wants you to look at and what he doesn't want you to look at. And take my tongue. Whew. The tongue. What a small member of the body. What mighty power the tongue has for evil. What mighty power the tongue has for good. I'm going to take my tongue. I'm going to lay it on the altar and I'm going to say, I'm going to... I'm going to commit, Lord, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. If any among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Talking, judging, misjudging, gossiping, speaking evil against dignitaries and those in high places, slandering, lying. Lord, this is not my tongue anymore. This is your tongue. I'm going to take the parts and I'm going to lay them on the altar and then I'm going to take my hands, these things that are used for service, and I'm going to say, Lord, these are not my hands anymore. These are your hands. You use them with whatever you want me to do. Whatever service you want me to do, Lord, I'm willing to do. Christian, you can't go to the altar and give your, make your body a living sacrifice and sit in your seat and say, but I'm not willing to clean the toilets in church. That's not giving your all to God. You can't say that I'm willing to do anything for you, God, except go to China as a missionary. That's not giving your all to God. And taking these feet, saying, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. I will walk in the way that is worthy of the vocation of which I'm called. These are not my feet anymore, Lord. These are your feet. And so I'm going to use these feet to walk where you want me to walk and preach the gospel. Oh, how beautiful are the feet of those that preach the gospel of peace. You following me? Are you with me? I'm trying to close this up quickly, folks. Just a couple more things. The mind. The mind. This is not my mind anymore, Lord. I'm not going to lose battles before they ever even begin because I've allowed myself to be defeated in my mind, Lord. This is your mind. I give it to you. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And if it's not in one of those categories, then don't think on these things. My heart. It's not my heart anymore, Lord. It's your heart. I'm going to take this heart. I'm going to lay it on the altar. I'm going to divide it and I'm going to lay it on the altar so that the things that you love, I'm going to love. And the things that you hate, I'm going to hate. I'm going to commit in my heart to hate sin and love righteousness. Not give a winking eye to sin and say some sins are okay. 
Not give a winking eye to sins and say, the funny sins are kind of funny, so I'm going to allow them in my life. Oh, my soul. That is not a sacrifice that God accepts because that's not giving your all. And if there's anybody that's worthy of your all, Christian, and not just part of you, not just part of your ear, and not just your ears and not your eyes, and not just your, your mind and not your heart, if there's anybody in this world that deserves your all, it's not yourself, and it's not your wife, and it's not your job. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who loved you and gave himself for you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto him which is your reasonable service and be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed holy by the renewing of your minds that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God and God pleads with you from heaven he pleads with you from this book he pleads with you inside of your heart to say the best thing for you Christian is just to give your all to me to give it to me now to give it to me tonight you have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church sermon podcast we hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you if you would like more messages visit our website at fbcclarklake.org where all of our messages can be downloaded for free also you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church sermon podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.